0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming to our session. And we've got two parts to this session. The first part is going to be tips and tricks to vending. So if you'd like to share a specific tip that you've learned or a trick on vending, and it doesn't have to be like just vending machines, but in your vending facility would be great. So we'll first go to Karen, I guess.
1: It's CEO credits first. Your code, your startup code.
0: Oh, yeah, we better have our code.
1: Yeah, yep. okay. <laughs> so, uh, your
2: startup code, and again, this is only for those of you who have a credential that requires continuing education. If you are a, a regular attendee, you do not need to worry about this. Your code is 0 9-A-8-C. One, one more time. Zero Nine a like Alpha, 8-C, like Charlie. Thank you very much and enjoy the session.
3: Well, thank you very much. And, Randy, we're going to ask for this last session because we want this to be as interactive as possible. If you see a hand up, could you please tap one of us on the shoulder or just kind of... You know, mention that there's a hand up so we can take some audience. Sure, I'll just
2: interrupt you as soon as I can. That is terrific. I love being interrupted. Perfect. Um,
3: So welcome back, everybody. So now we're going to talk about some tips and tricks and all the good stuff involved with vending and having a facility and and doing all this while being blind. And I bet you even hear a funny story or two while we're in this process because I definitely have some good ones. But... um, I think one of the biggest questions people ask, so I, I do have a vending route, however in the past I did have facilities, so I'm open to questions or thoughts about anything. But I'm going to specifically talk right now about the vending route. And one of the biggest questions uh, I think asked to me on a vending route is, if a machine's not operating right, what's the first thing you look at? And in a, in a logical world, that's a really good question. You know, bill receptors obviously would be your first thing to look for a jam. But the second most important thing to look at is your coin mech, and they are the most neglected parts of a vending machine. If your machines don't have a proper amount of coin, or if you have a coin in the wrong slot, that machine is not going to work. It's going to reject any bill you possibly put in there. So that would be the first one. And I think for this session, why don't we just keep going around until there's a hand up? So that would be my first tip. Linda, why don't you go next?
4: I I have to definitely agree with you on the coin mech because not only it it will give um, an error, and it will say correct change only. But even if it's saying correct change only, it's still going to um, not process like it's supposed to. Um, Other thing you want to check is make sure that, um, that your machine doors are shut properly. I know I've had problems with locking mechanisms not seating properly. And if that door's ajar, the machine is not going to function. It's going to throw an error code, and they're not going to be able to do anything with them.
2: Okay. Um, Daryl has a hand up. Okay. And Daryl, you. I, I was curious, you're, you're inventing. Are you through the uh, BET? If any chance? I am through the BEP. Okay. I was curious do you fix the machine yourself, or do you have to pay somebody to fix the BET? you have a deductible?
3: That is a very good question, and I'm going to answer that on how we do things in New York State. So I'm going to take that in sections. Do I fix a machine myself? If I can, yes. And what I will say to any vendor, to carry a toolkit with screwdrivers, wrenches, and grease. Believe it or not, grease is your best friend when you have a vending route. But... Um, if there is something that I can't fix or I need replacement parts, our SLA does purchase those for us. If it's something that I can't just switch out a part, we have, they hire outside contractors that come in and repair our machines for us.
2: Yeah, I, I have another question. You do stock your own machines also, right?
3: I do, sir. I, I am okay, a totally do you, do you blind a vendor. The only thing I don't do is drive.
2: Okay, do you, do you have, uh, I mean, do you, did you, did Coca-Cola or anybody provide the machines themselves? or?
3: Okay, so again, I'll speak to New York. In New York, Coke and Pepsi do provide us with machines. However, snack machines here in New York are bought by the SLA, so it's all part of the program. And, and what okay, may I say- also come in on
4: this? Um. From Tennessee's perspective, we have the option. We don't have to have Coke or Pepsi. If we want to do Coke or Pepsi branded machines, we can. Um, and as far as repairs go, we are not allowed to do our own repairs. Um, BP, um, in my case it's Tennessee Business Enterprises, TBE, um, provides us with... A, uh, like um, Karen said, we have a contracted person, and we have to call in the machine issue. Um, now, that's beyond the simple things. I mean, a jam, obviously, we can fix ourselves. Um, there's certain other things that we can do. But for the most part, anything that requires a replacement, we're supposed to call that in, and the guy comes and does it for us, and it's at no cost to us. The TBE provides... Payment for that.
2: Okay, and if Coke or Pepsi uh, provide the machines, uh, what kind of percentage do they want out of them?
3: They don't. What it is is that because we're carrying their product line, and the only rules are that if I have a Pepsi machine, I don't put Coke products in it. If I have a Coke machine, you don't put Pepsi products in it, or any other line.
2: Okay, that's same. I'm done. Thank you.
3: Oh,
4: Thank okay. you uh,
2: now there are facilities
4: have the branded machines that get a commission from uh, coke or Pepsi depending on which machine it is um, I, I know several vendors who have uh, a commission deal going with but in that case uh, Pepsi or Coke whichever comes in and um, maintains the machine
2: Okay, there okay, is another Randy. hand up. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, okay. yeah. So, uh, Chris, I am uh, now letting you talk.
5: Hi, everybody. Uh, great presentation. Um, for a young person starting out being an entrepreneur, what would you say would be the best advice for, some, say, somebody that like may like 24 years of age or 25 years of age getting into this type of business, uh, vending, vendor business? I uh, just was curious well, on that. Thank you. Well,
3: Okay. So um, if you're starting up a business on your own, that's that's a little different. It, it's similar to what we're talking about, but we're specifically focusing on the Randolph Shepard Program itself on this particular call. And what I will say is for anybody young, it's a perfect place to start and to learn about business because each individual state has their own training. You have to have a little bit of business um, savvy I guess in your toolbox Um, you have to understand the basic concepts but if you can do that generally speaking you can get through the programs, the training and then while you're in the program you have on-site support so in other words when I was a newbie um, and, and I wasn't 100% 100% comfortable with different things or I didn't know how to do something, I have I have somebody called a business specialist that would come out and work with me for the first couple of weeks. So I could turn to them and say, okay, how do I do this? Or if I had a daily report or, or whatever I had to fill out, I had that support. So if you want to start up a business without a lot of investment out of your own pocket, this is definitely a program that you should look at.
1: Um, just one thought I'd like to share on that uh, would be there are basically <laughs> two rules of business. Rule number one, customer is always right. Rule number two, when the customer is wrong, revert to rule number one. <laughs> give you a little background on that, um, this would be a lengthy answer, but a little background and that, probably a little trick to the trade, is le- learn your customer's vernacular. Um, years, number of years back, um, a friend of mine, well, he happened to be a son in law of my next door neighbor, was uh, one of our state assembly people here in the uh, Capitol. And, uh, you know, him and I, we broke bread together and broke a few bottles together or whatever else. And he when they were in legislative session down there, you know, he drank Diet Pepsi all the time. And I didn't know this at that time because when him and I were together, we drank everything but Diet Pepsi. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, and he'd call me and I was always Dan, 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 this, Dan, that. But when he'd call into Daniel, I said, oh, something, we got a problem, you <laughs> know. He says, my Pepsi machine in the state capitol in the basement is empty. The machine's totally empty. I said, oh, my God, we can't have that. So, you know, I'm 180 miles away from the state capitol building. And so I'd call the vendor down there, and I said, Jess, need get in there you know, fill that Pepsi <coughs> machine. The, you know, Larry is upset that the machine is empty. Jesse would go to that next morning and call me. He said, well, it was out of Diet Pepsi. All the rest of it, everything else was out of Diet Pepsi. But to Larry, the machine was empty is em- totally empty to him. So then, finally, after about the third time, I finally convinced Jesta, uh, okay, put two columns of diet Pepsi in, please. You know, because <laughs> when Larry and I got together, we like to talk, we like to talk fun things rather than business things. You know. And another another incident is to, you know, in your, when your customer rule number one, your customer is right, and rule number two, when you revert to rule number one. Is one time we were in the post office. In the, the PDF facility, and the postmaster walks in. He says, "The blankly blank blank coke machine is empty." And my driver, you know, uh, he was, you know, all of four foot twelve, and he had a, a little bit of Napoleon attitude toward him. Toward him, and he says. They're like, actually, you know, it's, it's empty. It's just probably jammed up. You know, he started barking back at the postmaster. Like, oh no, I had to jump in. You know, I had to run across the room and get in between them, basically. And you know, he was right. But you just don't talk to your customers that way. You know, say yeah. You know, I say yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You know, I'll check it out right away. You just you don't accuse the customer of, of uh, not knowing what the, he believes to be true. You know, if the machine is empty, it's. And, it's empty until you get in there and fix it and fill it or unjam it or whatever you know just learn your customer's vernacular and uh you know again customer always right and rule number two is when a customer's wrong, revert to rule number one
3: It's definitely one of the most important things to remember <laughs> in any business, so I hope he answered your question um Randy, are there any more hands up
2: uh not at the moment uh let's give it a second see if anyone does
3: all right if for the time being i'll just oh
2: okay we got a live
3: one nice
5: uh it's chris again hello chris again I'm sorry, I, I had another question. Thank you. You perfectly answered. A great stories, by the way. I love the stories you guys tell on this, these uh, conferences here. <laughs> so, first time ACB, uh, um, you know, convention I've been to. Um, another question is, how do you guys get around being totally blind? I know that may sound stupid, but you know, how do how do you guys get around as far as transportation? Do you guys have drivers for you, or, or how does that work? So-
3: so I'll answer that question. Thank you, um, Chris. What's, Thank you. What state are you from, sir?
5: I'm, I'm in California, uh, Golden
3: State. Well, hello, so. and that's where Miss <laughs> Artist is from. So, hey. if you want to know more about the ACB and RSVA, she is right there to answer any of your questions or any of us. What's on her, this her name call. again? Artist Bazin, and she okay. is a lovely young lady who would love to speak with anybody interested. Um, or any Thank you for the your call, help would- today,
5: by the way, for answering my questions. Ab- Thank you.
3: Absolutely. So um, I am going to answer your question, except I just distracted myself. What was this question? Uh, uh, oh, how do we get around? Okay, so everybody's mobility tools are different. Some vendors do have guide dogs, some vendors do use a cane. Other vendors do have enough vision that they don't necessarily uh, feel it necessary to use um, either. Uh, I, I don't recommend it if you're visually impaired and living in a visually impaired world. A cane or a dog identifies you as being somebody with a visual impairment. And although there's that apprehension at the beginning, you want people to understand that if you walk into them, you're not being a rude Uh, Person, you're doing it because you do have a vision problem. Um, To get around on the vending route, that is the one thing as being blind individuals we cannot do is drive. So in my particular case, I use a driver, and I work right along with my employees as far as filling machines. Um, Nobody touches cash in my bill receptors except me, and... um, One trusted employee who I'm actually, is my daughter, so I trust her, but none of of my other employees touch money, period. They don't fill change. They don't take money out of machines. They don't do bank deposits. Um, The driving is the primary issue, but loading, unloading. And then what we have is we have equipment. I have something called an ID Mate, which talks to me, and it scans the codes on products and tells me what that product is. Um, there's apps on most smartphones that have, um, code readers on them, which comes in handy when you're in a grocery store or anywhere else, but definitely convenient on a vending route that if you have a bag of chips in your hand, they all feel the same and you just scan the UVC code and it will tell you what the product is. Um, Changing prices in a machine just comes down to memorization, the pattern of the code, if you can't see at all. If you do have vision, sometimes you can read the screen, sometimes you can't. Um, But being that you do have a sighted driver, if there's something you miss, you can always, you know, look for maybe some assistance. But overall, as a vendor, you want to be able to do these things yourself. It's not just about doing a job, but it's about doing a job right and having that feeling of independence that you can do it, knowing you can do it, and also showing the customers that you can do it. I hope I answered that question.
0: Also, if you don't have transportation, this is artists. You can, you know, call a cab or, or Uber, or Lyft, or whatever, to get to a place. Because I know after hours sometimes is a problem because you have your driver scheduled for certain times. So there may be a time where you're going to have to get transportation another way. So you have to be open to using other transportation buses don't work because the schedules aren't always good and they don't always go out to all the areas where you have machines either so you have to be ready with other options so you got to think outside the box maybe you have a relative you can call at a last minute etc
3: and and that's just if you have a vending route if you have a facility which we'll talk about more in the second session but if you have a facility which is can be um, a coffee kiosk, it can be a newsstand, it can be a cafeteria, a dry stand, a wet stand, there's all different types of facilities within the Randolph Shepherd program. And if you're in a facility where you're working 8 until 4 or 7 until 5, you can schedule whatever ride-sharing system you have, if you have a paratransit system, if you're on a bus route, there's all different options, and, and we'll definitely get more into that in the next session. Any hands, Randy?
2: Yes, we have. Oh nope, I can't call on that one because they don't have a real name. So, uh, person with the funny name, you know who you are. Um, if you change your, if you will rename yourself, I will be more than happy to call on you. Now, if they're calling
3: in from a phone, would it give you their name?
2: No, it's not. No, 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 no. It's uh, phone numbers I know to look out for. This is specifically um, a name that's not a name. I understand. Okay. Great.
3: Oh. Okay, we, we totally understand. So if there's no other questions right now... Um, can I almost, expand on what you were saying, Miss Kim?
4: Sure, you go. I, um, sometimes you have a unique situation. In my case, I have a fixed facility, the nuclear plant. But there's, there's two kind of weird issues. One, it is a 59-mile one-way from my house. Um, And it's spread out like a subdivision. It's in sectors. So I have to have um, a a, a driver, you know, um, that will commute from Knoxville, which is where I am, to Spring City, which is where my facility is. But also a truck with a driver for getting product from uh, my warehouse, which is on site, uh, to the various buildings um, within the facility. It's um, 39 machines spread out, um, you know, over uh, what amounts to about, I guess, maybe four miles um, uh, yeah, so it's 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 kind of a weird, and I'm like you. I use an ID mate. I have two different ones. I like my old one best. The new one is getting on my left nerve. <laughs> um, but you know, it's uh, it's it, with technology, it is so much nicer. You know, I didn't know about ID mate when I was going through the program, and I was getting really irked with um, going, we, we have to do an OJT scenario as part of our training. So I had to go to two different vending facilities a month at each one before I could be licensed, I completed the training. And, uh, you know, I didn't have access to this thing, so the people that were working for the guy that had the vending route, they would lay the cases out for me and say, okay, you have Coke, Mountain Dew, um you know, Mountain Dew Live Wire and uh, a case of Pepsi. And they need to go in this machine and this machine. So, you know, they were laid out where I knew I had to memorize, you know, where what it was and where it was going. Um, so the technology part of it is uh, huge um, for the independence thing.
3: It is, and it's come a long way, technology and helping uh, the blind vendors, or any blind individual. Like I said, I've been known to take my ID mate to the drugstore and to the supermarket. Um, Mm -hmm. my, My father was a vendor... Back in the 1970s, I'm going to show my age here, and I'm trying not to do that, but my dad was a vendor back in the 1970s, and uh, there was no such thing as an ID mate back then or an app on a phone. I mean, there weren't even cell phones back then. Or CCTV?
4: (laughs) <laughs>
3: or, or a CCTV for that matter. I I don't remember him ever having one. I remember getting my first CCTV when I was in high school, and I refused to use it because I was one of those people that wouldn't acknowledge I had an issue. Um, mm-hmm. But um, as, as I got older and my vision started to get worse, and again without disclosing my age, but about 10 years ago when I lost um, the majority of my vision, Using the technology was key to being um, successful just as a, as a productive uh, mom and grandma and, and everything else I am in my other life because uh, yeah, I carry a lot of different things. But um, technology is just amazing now. Um, there are some vending machines out there that do talk when I was talking about changing prices and all that kind of stuff on a vending machine, there are manufacturers that are making machines that do talk. Um, of course, some SLAs do um, buy them, some don't. On my particular vending route, I for those who, who just joined the section, I'm from New York, and my vending route uh, covers Erie and Niagara County, which is in western New York, so that's two counties. So exactly that. Not only do I need a driver, but I need a vehicle large enough to carry the product I need for those stops on the run for that particular day. Randy, any, questions, any hands up? Not at the moment. All right. Then... Let's let's move into a few more of the tips and all the good stuff that we have to remember as vendors. I, I told this story to Dan, and, and he laughed at it, but glass bottles sometimes are not our friends. Um, for, <laughs> for those um, people out there, there are things like um, frappuccinos and, and different products that come that are in glass bottles. Doorbacks. Starbucks. So, Starbucks exactly is the one I was thinking about. Yes, um, I have two stories with this. So I learned the hard way that glass bottles do not go on a top shelf in a vending machine. And <laughs> reason being, when when you're standing and and for those people who don't know me, I'm only five foot two. So, to reach to a shelf above my head and inserting glass bottles, and I tend to go a little too fast for my own good sometimes, but you're putting glass bottles in a slot. If one slips, what do you think is going to happen? And I'd love to know how many people on ACB radio are laughing at that one right now, because it is quite comical, because those bottles drop and they do shatter. And not only now do you have to pick up the glass, but you have to clean the product. So... One of the other things about your vehicle and your toolbox is a bucket and a mop and cleaning products. Um, We all have to carry them. Another thing with the glass bottles, and this is kind of a sad and gross story all rolled into one, but I was putting Frappuccino bottles in a bottom row of a machine, because I learned my lesson already with shattering them, and there was a little lip up on one of the bottles. And I, I didn't think much about it. I felt it. And I ignored it. And as blind people, when we feel something, we better learn quickly not to ignore it. So I'm putting these bottles in a um, bottle drop, which is a clear face machine where you put bottles in front and you have to rotate and all that fun stuff. My daughter, who is one of my primary employees, said, oh, my God, get out of the machine. Okay, what? Your hand is covered in blood. You have cuts all over yourself. All right, so now I'm at one of my facilities, and luckily for me, they did have a wash sink right in the cafeteria I was in. I was able to wash and get the bleeding to stop, and she uh, looks at me and, what do you want me to do with a bottle? (laughs) I think that's going to go in the trash, sweetie. (laughs) But when you feel something not right, stop what you're doing. Can I add a story to that one? Absolutely, yes.
4: Okay. I was bringing in a cart of soda, and I had three milk crates stacked up at the handle end of my cart. As I was coming through the door of the cafeteria, um, the door, uh, the transition piece from the outside to the inside, It's you know not smooth, so I was I had to push the cart forward and jam it backwards to get enough momentum to get it over that. Well, when I did that, the case or the um, milk crates shifted and crashed into my fingers. Didn't think anything about it. So I am come into the cafeteria and I'm starting to unload my product, and the girl who was working for me at the time went, oh, my God, you're bleeding. And I'm like, there's no, how am I bleeding? I haven't done anything. Well, when those milk crates shifted, the plastic on the outside of them had cut my knuckles across four knuckles and laid them open. And I never even felt it. But I was tracking blood everywhere. Well, that's the last thing you want to do in a federal facility because blood, oh, my God, that's hazmat. So (laughs) they go and get the health officer for the building who comes in and has called somebody with gloves and crap, you know, to come in and clean up. It's like, I'll clean up my own blood. It's not a big deal. Just, you know, give me something to stop the, you know, paper towel. Let me get the bleeding. stopped. I'll clean up my own blood. I'm not toxic. It turned into an hour-long ordeal with paperwork, and you know everything just just from gash knuckles. Um, so, but luckily, I didn't have to clean it off product, so I was fortunate that. bad. it it was a pretty little red trail across their nice white floor, so I was a, I was a toxic hazard, um, <laughs> you know.
3: And no. and I think that's something, Linda. People really don't think about my. Uh, My bloody hand story was at uh, one of the IRS facilities, which is a federal, and I had to do an incident report, and obviously, I took full responsibility for it. I did it myself, but because I was in their cafeteria, and um, in in some of these places, you have to be escorted. You cannot uh, walk around certain places without an escort, and the IRS uh, facilities are one of them, and... um, I never felt so on the spot in my life. For oh a, yeah, just because all because I felt something wrong and and didn't I ignored it? I, I totally
4: understand and, and where I am at. See, I uh, I am I have to be badged. I have to go through um, a two week badging process. And uh, full background checks with the FBI and all that good stuff. Um, but, you know, the the way their procedures are, they would not allow me to, you know, um, to take care of the issue myself, which I, you know, because I carry all of the sanitation stuff, as you described, you know, Um it, because of where it was and how it had, they they had to do the full, you know, and they had to bring somebody in to do it to make sure that it was quote done according to procedure. And um, it's a yeah, so definite caveat in both stories. Do not ignore your instinct.
0: Another thing I think we should remember is advocacy. We need a um. Ask people if we need to help. I know a lot of us are very independent and we don't like to have to ask for help. But I know before uh, the ID mates and those kind of technology, a lot of times there wasn't always anybody around. And so I'd have to ask a customer, okay, I want to make sure I put the right thing. And then I'd ask them, is this Pepsi or Coke or, you know, whatever. But most of the time I could get the salespeople to tell me the order but i had to remember you know and sometimes if you have stuff a wall you don't always remember if you move something so i always like to verify but you have to just be willing to ask don't be shy about it
4: and that's that's, that's true and that's what somebody told me a long time ago and this is kind of a different take on it but i mean it still plays in um so those of you who know me know that I can be a, a tad bit stubborn and extremely independent. And um, somebody pulled me aside years ago and told me, You're denying someone the blessing, which I know it's kind of an odd take on it, but um, sometimes people want to help, and when you tell them, No, you're good, You're denying them the opportunity to to, um, lend assistance um, where they see need. You know, sometimes you just got to kind of swallow your pride and say, yeah, that would be great. Can you tell me, you know, I've let people escort me to my own machines because they were like, well, can I walk with you? Sure. That would be great. You know, when I'm really going, yeah, I'm trying to get this case of products to the, but I've had guys come up and take away cases from me, and said, "Let me take that for you, um, and carry it to my machines for me." But even though, you know, I know exactly where I'm going, and but they, you know, there's this need to help and be gallant, and you know, so it's sometimes it's really hard to. To, to push back the independent side and know that you're good and allow this person, um, I guess, the privilege. It kind of sounds uh, conceited saying it that way. But, I mean, allowing them the opportunity, if they want to lend assistance, allow them to do so. That was a long way of All saying the, that. I'm
3: well, No,
1: but... but <laughs> yeah, and one, one caveat I'd like to uh, add to you know, uh, Karen mentioned that she, you know one of your tools in your van you need is a mop and a and a uh, r- uh, pail of cleanings. What I did as an alternative was that every time I took over a new facility, a new building, my first best friend became the janitor. <laughs> words, every time I seen the janitor, they, I found out what they drank or ate. I either gave them a Snickers bar or a bottle of Pepsi or a bottle of Coke and, you know, It was minor, because when I needed a mop, I needed a mop now. And it it, it saved me the the, the hassle of um, carrying the mop and the pail in my van all the time, because we had, you know, a large route, vending route. And uh, and, and you you need to make friends with a lot of your customers, and the janitor is is always my primary, then the building manager. You always want to make sure the building manager is taken care of, because if you need something moved or something, Go to you're building liaison, uh, so you need to stay build a relationship with various people in various facilities uh, to help you through the process. And like Linda says, you know, allow people to do their good deed for the day. You have to
3: absolutely and, the, and, make, and
1: and you know
3: absolutely and making friends in the buildings that you're working in is definitely key. Um, if you're going from place to place, and and Dan, you were really lucky. Um, some places you definitely have that opportunity. Um, uh, there's there's some places, unfortunately, where you don't always have that opportunity. But that's, <laughs> oh, that's, good. It's some, that's it's
1: quite a task. There's some feel It's quite a task to make friends with the janitor or the building manager. It, it takes a lot of work. But uh, uh, it, that was the way we survived, I guess. And that's
3: that's, that's wonderful. And um, making friends with people, of course, all over is key to any successful business. Um, you know, one of the last things you want to do is make a face at somebody. If they say, hey, you've been out of Snickers for a week, you know, you don't want to make a, a, a nasty face or a nasty gesture. You know, you want to keep that person happy and you just, you know, very politely say, you know, I apologize for any inconvenience. I will have it filled today. Um, to the best of your ability, I get calls from people, hey, you're out of X, Y, and Z. And it doesn't mean you have to necessarily be there the next day, but what you do want to say is, you know, I'm really sorry for the inconvenience, but I will get there just as soon as I possibly can. attitude and using your manners is just so key to who's going to patronize your machines or your business. Customer service all the way around um, is what will make or break any small business.
0: Giving free coffee once a year, like at the holidays, is also another way to make friends. You know, open your coffee machine. I mean, that way they can get hot chocolate to whatever they want, um, for a day. That also... Uh, helps gives you some friends in the building and they respect you you know being willing to do that
3: customer appreciation is always um an element to to any good sales and um, every year when before i had the vending route and i was in um i was in a place here in erie county um Every year I would do a customer appreciation with, I would go to a bakery and get fresh-made cookies and free coffee, and I would do that from, like, 9 until 11, either Christmas Eve or the night before, depending on when the building was shutting down. But i got to tell you how something so simple like that, the people would remember, and throughout the year... You know, well, this is, this is thank you for everything you did at Christmas. Or we have another vendor in the area that used to have um, pencils made that used to have the name of a store on it, pencils, pens, and calendars. And every Christmas he used to give those out. Um, different managers do different things, but saying thank you to your customers for, for keeping you going is at the top of the list of things that have to be done.
4: That's what I, for security. We, I mean, we. Part of what I have to do, we we have to go through a very secure area, and so on the major holiday, you know, Easter and Christmas and Thanksgiving, I will go get the um, what it, 450 count bags of candy and drop them at security um, for them to put in their break room. And um, I'll put them on the tables in the cafeteria for just, you know, the general customers. Um, just, yeah, and then um, what's the other, I don't know if you know who, Mrs. the you know, the fancy apples. I get those for the uh, the property management, our liaisons, and our, um, we have a little catering element that goes along with um, with, with the facility and our, um, our catering, the people that, um, you know, that call us for, for catering meetings and stuff, um, you know, I send them, you know, one of those fancy apples or two of the, it depends on how many people in their office. But, yeah, just all those little touches, and they remember who you are, and they appreciate you. And if there is a problem, if something's going on, or if there's going to be a change in population, they will contact you and say, hey, has anybody let you know that? There's going to be 400 people fur- furloughed, so that building's going to be empty. You know, it, it works out nice um, in a lot of ways to have those relationships.
3: It definitely does. So, um, Dan, I think we're at the time where we may have to switch topics. Um, Randy, are there any hands up or anybody interested in talking?
2: Talk. Uh, not at the moment. You have a total of, uh, well, 17 uh, attendees, because Dan is on the audience side. And, okay. And uh, none of them have their hands up um, right now.
3: All right, then Dan, do you think we're ready to switch gears into Randolph Shepherd itself?
1: Yes, I think it's the perfect time.
3: All right, so folks, again, on any of those funny stories or drop us a note. We always love talking about um, things that happen. Um, but moving along, we're going to talk about the Randolph Shepard program itself. So if our young man from California is still on the phone, this is a, a great time to really learn and understand what Randolph Shepard is and any other new people across the country. Um, I will let Dan begin with a short history of Randolph Shepard, and then we'll expand on it.
1: Okay. Thank you, Karen. Um, Yeah, the Randolph-Shepard Act was passed in 1936 by um, the two senators at that time, uh, Randolph and Shepard, James Randolph and uh, John Shepard, and that was 1936, you know, that's a long time ago, and it was revised, the last time it was revised was in 1974, and um, a good friend of ours, um, Bob Humphreys, was a a young lawyer just out of law school is working for um, uh, Senator Randolph. Senator Randolph was still in the Senate in 1974, and, they, and Bob Humphreys crafted and drafted the 1974 um, re, uh, revision of the Randolph-Shipper Act. It has not been touched since, and so Bob Humphreys is uh, probably the uh, key expert on. The spirit and intent of the Randolph Shepherd Act. But back in um, 1936, what um, Senator Randolph, with his family, drove around as they toured the country campaigning and taking care of their constituents, they would stop in at the post offices. The post offices, you remember at that time, were the key. Facility in every city and every town, and that's where all the maps are based out of. So he made a point to that, and he realized some of these were fairly large and they needed, um, you know, some service. So he lobbied to get um, blind and vision impaired, he created the Randolph Shepard Act with the intent of um, the post office. And once he got the law passed, he made it a point to stop at every post office. To until his tour in the Senate ended stopping it all and visiting with a Randall Shepherd vendor at uh, who was on duty at the time and there was uh, snack bars cafeterias um, you know wh- whatever else hamburger stands and a lot of these in these various post offs around the country in 1974 when they realized that um, there was more to snack bars and uh, hamburger stands that vending was becoming uh, a viable option. They revised it to, to, to include the vending and uh, any other marketing uh, service. And then the Canelli the amendments were added uh, later in the 70s. In uh, that, um, give us under the Highway transfer the Transport Surface Transportation Act, give the Randall Shepherd priority in ho- all highway rest areas across the country. That was uh, and that was just. Uh, in addition to the Randolph Shepherd Act. So it's been a very viable situation for, uh, you know, since 1936. And the unfortunate part, you know, back in 1974, there were about 40, between, I think it was 4,800 blind vendors across the country. Uh, a couple of years, uh, the last data we have is uh, two years ago, we had 1,800 blind vendors across the country. That's that's shocking. That's un, unnecessary. And what we need to do is really recruit and get more people interested in the vending program. Um, a lot of the um, SLAs or um, vocational rehabilitation counselors, they some some of them viewed Randolph Shepherd programs. As the last resort for a blind person, because a lot of people in society, and they still a lot of people still believe that that a blind person shouldn't, can't do anything. What can you do? And I guess I always responded, "Hey, I can drive a car better than any sighted person. I get in, I get behind the steering wheel, I go until I hit, hear that second crunch of metal. I stop. A sighted person keeps on going. And so you know, we need to show the society and folks on our abilities." and uh, we just happen to be visually impaired and blind and that's Randall Shepard is the most unique program in the entire world that allows it it's only open to the Randall to the blind visually impaired community and we as a community we have to support that and we have to maintain that and during the uh, recession 11 years ago the, uh, government employees have not had the opportunity to uh, get a Meaningful pay raise and they've been cutting staff. Some through attrition, they did not fill positions. So the existing VRS counselors that are left in the program, they haven't got a pay raise. So they really haven't been very active in recruiting younger people. They say, well, if I bring somebody new, and I got to train them, it's more work for me. I'm not getting any more money. And there's, you know, there's a variety of reasons out there why the program hasn't grown, why it's wrong. So consequently, people retire out their location gets farmed out to another um, uh, existing land vendor, or in the worst case scenario, it gets farmed out to private industry. That's that's uncalled un- un- for. That that should not be allowed. We need to do our share in recruitment uh, in, in providing this opportunity to everybody. You know, I, myself, um, you know, I was born and raised in a farm implement dealership, and I um, worked on... Uh, t- trucks and stuff until I, uh, tr- a tire fell on me, across my back, got the back surgery done and couldn't no longer work on cars or trucks, couldn't bend over, and so I went to work for the state of Wisconsin as an uh, um, investigator for 20-some years, and when I got to the point where I couldn't no longer read... I had to move on. And when I got out of co- when I got out of high school, VR says, oh, Randolph Shepard program. Well, I know I got usable vision. I'll do that. Went to college and got out of college. What well, a Randolph Shepard. No. So I went to work for the state. And then, you know, when my vision got where I could not read a document in front of a jury in the courtroom, I said, it's time to get out of this because we're going to allow some guilty people uh, to go jail free. And so I, they come across and with oh, Randall Randolph Shepard. I said, okay. I learned, I, through the years, I learned more about it. And in reality, looking back, it is absolutely the best thing that I've ever done in my life. Um, I have three daughters. Um, they all graduated college. Got them through college under the Randolph Shepard program by giving me the ability to earn some money. And my oldest graduate, we got a master's degree, summa cum laude. There were four-pointers all the way through high school and stuff and college. And, uh, you know, what more tribute can you offer to the Randolph Shepard program that allowed me that privilege of doing that? And I think we need to open that opportunity uh, to more people. Uh, it's just uh, very worthwhile. And all you really need is a gut feeling that you want to operate a business. That's all you really need. We are the individual state we can train train you you know for all the necessary tools that you need as long as you have the gut instinct to manage a business and whether it's little or some oftentimes no investment uh, you know, without any sacrifice to your financial stability for your family Thank you
3: there. Dan yeah. I love hearing the history of the program and uh, how it came about and everything I'll, I'll never get tired of hearing that um, primarily because the, vi- the vision was there that blind people are more than just people that need to sit home on Social Security, that blind people can do anything a sighted person does. We just have to do it a little different. But there's no reason um, that we can't pursue dreams and um, run our own businesses. And, and I'll tell you guys a little bit about myself. And and for those of you that know me will think this is adorable, but I'm not really big on taking orders from people. Um, I was a high partial most of my life. I have an eye condition called retinitis pigmentosa. So I started out seeing very well Uh, growing up and going to school and everything. Nobody even knew I had a vision problem And when I looked like I had a vision problem, I would make some dumb comment like, you know, I wasn't paying attention or whatever. I'd rather make myself look stupid than admit I had a vision problem. Uh, Same thing with using a cane. I would put myself in dangerous situations until I finally realized, okay, stupid, you know, why are you embarrassed to, to be blind? And, um... Finally, I started using one, and I found out that I was a whole lot safer. But prior to Randolph Shepard, I did a lot of accounting work. Um, For a long time, uh, I worked for a mortgage company, and after that, I started doing private contracts, doing, um, some people may be familiar with this term, but uh, corporate reviews. Um, I absolutely hated doing audits. So I went more into reviews, and I became a troubleshooter, which meant I could find mistakes in just about anybody's accounting. However, it's a very visual field. And can you do it without sight? Yes, you can. But it was a whole lot easier when I could look at pieces of paper and compare and see where the errors were. And and I was quite good. But as I got older, and again, this is so hard not to disclose age, but... As I got older and I was finding that my vision was starting to deteriorate, which they always told me it would, but I really didn't believe them because, you know, in my mind, I was something special. Um, When I started to lose my vision and I started getting more involved with some light advocacy and I started just nosing around a little bit. And knowing I, I grew up in a house where my father was totally blind. But he built houses, and I was like, well, he can do that. And then he was also in Randolph Shepard when I was a little girl. So in the 70s, I'd go and I'd sit on the floor and I'd fill my dad's machines with cigarettes or soda, and back then it was all cans. There was no such thing as bottled soda. But I, I kind of always had that in my mind. When I realized that a lot of the software for accounting was not made accessible back um, about 10, 12 years, 13 years ago, and it was just getting more and more challenging, I had to make some tough choices in my life. So in 2009, I um, contacted the New York State Commission for the Blind, and I'm like, okay, I want to know more about the Blind Vendors Program here in New York. And they more or less told me what the training was and what I would have to do, and um didn't really seem all that bad, except the taking orders from people at the beginning, which again revert back to the "I'm not good at taking orders from people." Um, but I got through it. I'm also a mother and a grandmother. I have four children and I have four grandchildren. I own a home in the suburbs outside of Buffalo, New York. Um, I don't. I don't do too bad for myself. I started out in a very small facility and. Like any other program or job or career, you have to pay your dues, which meant my first facility was very small, uh, not a lot of people in in the building. The income was not great, and it was all the way in Niagara County, and I live in Erie County. So it was an hour ride every day on paratransit, which was absolutely terrible. But I paid my dues. You work your way up in the program. Most states either have a priority system or some way of advancing people depending on your sales or on your years in the program or a combination of both. Um, all different states run, run different. To you work your way up, and the average salary in the state of New York for a blind vendor is 46000 However, we do have some managers making up to $100,000 a year. The benefits here in New York is I don't pay rent when I had a store in the the buildings. You don't pay rent. You don't pay utilities. Um, You are given an advance for your first stock. It's called a stock loan. You have three years to pay it back interest-free. Uh, as you go along. Now, we do pay back into the system, which is called the levy, which goes into our our set-aside and for um, all different expenses that are occurred throughout the year. Once a year, I get an annual uh, distribution, which is supposed to be slated towards our retirements. Most managers do do that. Some don't. But Again, when you're in business, you always have to be thinking about the future. Um, I'm not going to disclose my annual income, but I'm very happy with what I've accomplished. And working my way up, having a vending route opposed to having a store, I have a very flexible schedule. Um, It is not a a seven-day-a-week type situation. (laughs) Um, when everything is open, when COVID is not going on realistically, I do have to work five days a week, but if I don't feel well one day and I stay home, I make it up throughout the course of the week. So vending definitely has advantages and profit margins are much higher. Um, and that's a little bit about my story. So, Linda, if you want to take and tell us the pros and cons of Tennessee and why you got into the program.
4: Okay. Um, well, um, Tennessee set up a little bit different, um, but the way I got into it is a little bizarre. Um, I'm kind of like you. I had a I have star Um, my. I started deteriorating when I was in second grade. But um, I was told it would stabilize, and I, I went all through public school, and I got hooked up with vocational rehabilitation when I was 18, and they put me on um, college track. Pretty much. Actually, they started out trying to get me to work for the IRS, um, and I ultimately ended up in college uh, where I... Uh, finished up with a master's degree in French literature. My goal was to be a French teacher. It was my goal from the time I was a little kid. Well, I knew I wanted to be a teacher, teacher not necessarily French, but um, I started developing my interest in French in middle school. But anyway, so I taught uh, French for 16 years, and in 2012, um had a little dispute with the school I was teaching at. I could not get them to do the adaptations they needed for what they were requiring that I use in the classroom. Um, And rather than continue fighting, and I would believe that my hearing is also an issue. Um, I wear bilateral hearing aids, and it was getting more difficult to hear the students when we were doing oral practice and I was asking questions and so on. So in 2012, uh, December of 2012, I ceased to teach, which was the most miserable day of my life. So for the next three years, I tried to figure out what I was going to do, what I was going to become, what kind of, uh, what kind of a uh, profession that I could go into with a master's degree in French—that's not exactly. Oh, and my minor is in special education. So, um, interesting—you know, kind of a weird combo of things. But, um, but I was trying to find, you know, something, something I could do with those. Well, um, I have a very dear friend, um, actually a couple of them who are vendors, and it was kind of recommended to me that well, why don't you look into it? So in 2015, I did just that. And uh, went through the program. And our program in Tennessee is three months, five days a week. Um, and you get, you're get you doing the equivalent of an associate's degree, which was just right up my alley. It's like, hey, studying, I'm cool with that because I'm good at it. Um, and, uh, You know, a lot of math. We had to do management. You have business principles. You have uh, doing all the paperwork, you know, from state-level tax requirements and federal-level tax requirements and um, all that good stuff. And then after the end of that, you go through a um, one-month on-the-job training uh, in two different facilities. One, um, if you choose to do the food prep option, which I did because I love to cook, and um, then there's the vending. So if you take both, then you do two months. So I did one month in a food prep and one month in vending. vending. And then I was a licensed okay. vendor. And my first facility wasn't until 2017, So it took a while before something became available, so I was yet another two years unemployed. Well, actually, I did teaching for um, a local nonprofit uh, that needed someone to teach um, GED classes, so I did that for a year um, while I was waiting for facilities. In Tennessee, we have a bidding process, and it's actually not a bid like, like government contracting. It's you put in your interest for that facility, and then you have to go through an interview process um, in order to get the facility. Uh, What happened was I went and um, interviewed for one, which I knew I was outclassed for, because it was a rather large one, and it was my first time out. So I ended up temping the facility of the gentleman who got the actual route. And... um, You know, it was my first ever uh, business adventure, and boy, it was a learning experience and um, somewhat of a crash and burn. I figured out I am a great cook and a lousy manager of people because it was a lot of employees and um, uh, hard to find uh, people for because the pay scale was so tiny. And you also had to go through badging and be um, through background checks and drug tests. And some people could pass the drug test and not the background test, or they could <laughs> pass neither. Um, so anyway, when that, my time at that one ended, I was relieved because it was way more than I could handle. But I learned a lot, a lot. So it was, it was a wonderful experience at the same time as being um, a difficult experience. And uh, the facility I'm in now is, is also a fixed facility, but it has a root component because it's spread out over acreage. But um anyway, that's it, not really a nutshell, but that's the, the the path to where I'm at now. And I do love it because, as Karen pointed out, there's a lot of flexibility in your schedule. Um, You know, right now with things being slow, it's two days a week. I'm not saying that that's a good thing, but, I mean, at least I have the option of curving my hours. Uh, to fit the budget of, you know, the present situation. So, um, you know, I am happy with how it's turned out. I never expected to be a business person. As I said, I expected to be a professor all my life, and it just wasn't meant to happen. But I am terribly pleased that I had friends that pushed me in this direction because it turned out to be... A wonderful thing.
0: Thanks Linda, that Thanks. sounds great. I'll go into mine. This is Artist Bazin and my experience is a little different from each of yours. I was fully sighted until I was involved in a car accident when I was 20 and I happened to be working for a newspaper a company at that time and they wanted me to stay employed with them. And they gave me some choices. I could get training to be a secretary, et cetera. And none of the options they gave me were anything I was interested in. So I learned about the Randolph Shepherd program. And I'd always enjoyed cooking. And I was, I was a bookkeeper receptionist um, in my job before I lost my sight. And so I thought the Randolph Shepherd program was something I could do. I was living in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, at the time. And they did not do training in South Dakota. So I had to go to Cleveland, Ohio for my training. It was a three and a half month program there. And then after I got my training, the South Dakota Association for the Blind set me up with a snack bar at the newspaper company. And then since, since then, I've, I've had six other facilities um all different sizes. My largest one was cafeteria at the State Capitol Building in Pierce, South Dakota, where I had thirteen employees. And then I moved to Iowa um after getting divorced, moved back to Iowa where I was born and I had three facilities in Iowa and my last one was at a post office in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where I had, you know, fifty seven vending machines and about 10 different buildings i met a guy and moved to california and looked at getting into their program but they wanted me to start from scratch even though i had uh, lots of experience and i opted to change businesses so which leads me to the point of view that if you're a Randall shepherd vendor and you can't find a facility you like. You always have the option into going to different business. And I learned a lot training employees, doing a lot of uh, speaking and coaching while I was in the Randolph Shepherd program. So I transitioned into my current business where I do speaking, writing, and business coaching. But while I was in it, I was able to get um, two BAs and a master's degree. While I was in the Randolph Shepherd program, it provided me the income to get that and raise my two daughters. And uh, both of those have excellent careers. So the Randolph Shepherd program provides a lot of benefits. Like was mentioned earlier, you don't pay rent unless you're in a public facility. If you have a private facility as part of your operation, then sometimes you might have to pay. A commission of some type but for the most part generally um, there's no rent you have that option now, of course those uh, businesses they want you to give them a lesser rate sometimes they don't want you to charge as high a fees as when you're out in retail but that's you know part of the negotiation thing you have with your different buildings but anyway that's
3: Mike Artis, thank you so much for your story. We have about 10 minutes left to this section, and this is our last section. So I'm curious, Randy, is there anybody out there who has any questions or anything else that they'd like to add?
2: There are not at the moment, but we'll give it a minute because, like, as you said, we do have a little bit of time.
3: Folks, we have about 10 minutes left, so if anybody out there in ACB land or Randolph Shepard vendor land has anything they'd like to share, the positive points of, of Randolph Shepard, please feel free to raise your hand. We'd love to hear from you.
1: One, one thing there's um, I'd like to emphasize that there's two things in life that I know, I know for a fact. Number one is I know a difference between right and wrong. Number two is I know that the Randolph Shepherd program is the right thing for a lot of people. They just are not aware of it yet.
3: And across the country and as a whole, um, the Randolph Shepherd program is definitely neglected by a lot of VR counselors. And it's important those of us in the program talk and talk and talk, which you all know I have no problem doing. But we all need to really emphasize the benefits of the program. It's it's treated my family very good over the last 10 years. And many, many people I know um, have had extremely successful careers coming in very young and retiring from the program. Um, we are productive members of society, and there is no reason... That anybody with just an ounce of energy um, can't be out there working. I can tell you that here in New York State, we have facilities open and not enough managers to fill the facilities that we do have. I understand that in like Linda's case, it's a little different in Tennessee that you may have to wait, but not all states are like that. You know, if there's a situation where you're living in a part of the country where they don't have a lot of opportunities, you know, look around look at the different states look at the different programs see where you might fit in um, moving is is scary for some people but to support yourself to support a family it's a great it's a great, it's a great way of life i'm yeah. proud to be there part are, of Randolph there Shepherd. are
2: some hands up and i uh, not to step on your toes there but we we are close to time so let's see if we can get at least one in
0: if great,
2: thank you, right. great Yeah um, So, uh, Jamie Simpson.
0: Hi, this is uh, Jamie from Texas And I'm not part of The BP program However, I do work in VR And I had a curious question Like if the goal Of the
3: BP program Is the same across the country Why are different Training programs so different And I guess my like, I guess I'm curious to know why are they all so different? Because one of the been moving from one state to another require you to go through their training program. That's the same if you move from somewhere else. You have to go through the training program here. But why is that? Why is there not more of a I guess unified training programs so that if someone does move? They don't- the, the train- that's, a, that's a good question. I'll, I'll try to answer that quickly and as precisely as I can, so maybe we can squeeze in one more. But I can tell you that across the country, we have a lot of geographical differences. And sometimes training... Um, does have to be based around the geographical area that one may live in. Um, But also, there's something called mini-Randolph-Shepard laws, which means each state has a smaller, um, more precise Randolph-Shepard law. So trainings are kind of based around what's available in that particular state. I think the general concepts are the same, but geographically there are a lot of differences. Um, There are some states where you can go from one BEP program right into another one. However, I wouldn't say that that's the norm. Um, Most trainings, you know, they they do vary from state to state. Um, And how long it takes you to get through, I can tell you in New York, it just depends on the person. The more effort you put into it, the quicker you can get through it. (laughs) um i hope that answers your question and i would be more than happy Uh, all my information is on the website if you want to reach out we can certainly talk more about this are you ready for the next one yeah we can we can take one more i think
2: okay Okay. teddy kern teddy are you there actually that particular person has raised like the hand has gone up and down a few times okay well it may be a false positive
3: all right we got about two minutes do you have one
2: more or no we have uh, Satana. Satana. Yes.
6: Hi. Um, Hi. So when I hear Randolph Shepard and then I hear Business Enterprise, to me, the Business Enterprise program sounds like such a big, beautiful business enterprise thing, like business in general. But it, it really seems to be um, centered in this vendor thing. So I guess what I'm wondering is Randolph Shepard's been around for a long time. And yet I think that while there's still a lot of vending that needs to be done, business in general for blind people is a pretty great thing. And has anybody ever considered as a broader ACB thing, trying to find a way to expand this? Because it, it sounds to me like every time I talk to somebody who's gone through the RSVA stuff, the training's awesome, but the training is business training that anybody starting a business would value and be able to utilize. So I just wonder if there's been any consideration around creating something that's a- a broader than this one particular thing.
3: I, I think that um, business enterprise programs across the country are focused on Randolph Shepard um, primarily because it is a program based uh, mostly on, you know on blind individuals that you know it, it is a priority given to the blind people to go in certain businesses under the under the law and under the priority is it can it be a stepping stone to other businesses of course you heard artists' story where she learned a lot from being in the Randolph Shepherd program you know in in different states and she's become a very successful entrepreneur in all different businesses and um, VR will generally push if, if, you know, there is business programs through most colleges and and there is other opportunities that way. Um, We were specifically focusing on the Randolph-Shopper program and the benefits that it can bring to somebody's life uh, throughout this particular um, segment. Great. Thank you. Sure.
2: All right, it is 645, so It is, and I ladies- need to give the closing code.
3: Okay. Why don't you do that, and then I'll okay. just close everything up.
2: All righty. The closing code is C407E. One more time. C, like Charlie, 407E. E. Like Echo. Thank you so much, Randy.
3: And I want to thank everybody who joined us for this conference. We had four wonderful sessions. Anybody out there who wants to know more about RSVA, please um, check out our website. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, my name is Karen Blackowitz, and yes, it's spelled exactly the way I said it. Haha. Uh, I'm on Facebook, always available <laughs> to talk and answer questions. Um, uh, I believe my name is actually spelled out in the program if you're looking to find me. Dan Sipple, Artist Base, and Linda Ellis. Thank you all so much. and thank Thank you to all of our listeners out there, and we hope you have a very positive experience hearing about RSVA and everything that we're into and looking to do into the future.